Before we turn to our scripture, I'd like to turn to our contemporary testimony. Our world belongs to God. The the, uh, paragraphs we're going to be reading together will be on your screen. They're also found in your bulletins. As we continue to think a little bit about what's the Christian view on work and on leisure, our contemporary testimony uh, of the Christian Reformed Church has, has addressed that. So let's make that our testimony. Let's read that in unison, the two paragraphs. Our work is a calling from God. We work for more than wages and manage for more than profit so that mutual respect and the just use of goods and skills may shape the workplace. While we earn or profit, we love our neighbors by providing useful products and services. In our global economy, we advocate meaningful work and fair wages for all. Out of the Lord's generosity to us, we give freely and gladly of our money and time. Rest and leisure are gifts from God that relax us and set us free to discover and to explore. But we confess that often our addiction to busyness allows our tools and toys to invade our rest and that an internet world with its temptations, distorts our leisure, reminding each other that our Maker rested and gave us rest. We seek to rest more trustingly and to entertain ourselves more simply. And then, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For those of you who are visiting, we've been going through the first and second letters of to the Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul's addressing a lot of things on what does it mean to live as a Christian, because that's their question. Most of them were, were pagans and had become Christians, and they, they want to know what does the Christian lifestyle uh, look like? How is it different than from the way that they grew up? And so Paul's seeking to address those questions, and he does so in the first letter, and then he revisits some items in the second letter, apparently they hadn't gotten the message or some were still not going in the, the right direction. And, and that's what Paul is doing here uh, in chapter 3. And he's addressing the issue of work, which is appropriate to our weekend. But listen to what he said back in the first letter. He said, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So Paul has already stressed that to them. Work so that you don't uh, make it harder to be a Christian in a place where it was already hard to be a Christian and that you aren't dependent on anybody, and in particular he's going to note dependent on the church. And then we turn to, so we turn to chapter 3, and we find that it's the conclusion of Paul's letter, and he has the two elements that usually are involved in the conclusion of his letters. He, in the first five verses, he requests prayer. In the last three verses, he gives his greeting to various people and gives his greeting, God's greeting, to the church. But in between that, he adds one more thing. He wants to address one more issue, and it's the issue of, of work versus idleness. Let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. 
and pray that we may be, del be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Before we jump into that passage, let's open with prayer. Father God, we pray that you would help us to image you as a good and faithful worker. We thank you for your creation of this world, but also for the role that you've placed us in in this world. Help us to take it seriously as it is something that is a gift of yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tomorrow we celebrate Labor Day, ironically by taking the day off from work. Never quite figured that one out. The Labor Day reports on the workforce in America are quite a bit different this year than in a couple of years ago. There's no doubt that the COVID pandemic has changed the face of labor in America. Even since lockdowns have been lifted and life has returned to some normalcy, the labor force has yet to catch up with the pre-COVID levels. And we've all probably experienced this in, in some way. I know when we went on vacation uh, last April and we've gone on other outings since, we found ourselves looking for restaurants open for dining or restaurants that didn't have long lines even though they had empty tables. Not so much because of COVID, but because of the shortage of workers. And I'm sure that a lot of you have, have uh, run into that as well. On my drive home from work every day, I pass numerous signs in the front of businesses advertising jobs and offering interviews, and even increasing incentives like signing bonuses and benefits and higher wages. As I watch and read the news about the employment shortage, especially in the light of the increase in unemployment, there seem to be many reasons that have contributed. One, however, that has certainly played a role 
are the government handouts for temporarily unemployed workers, many of them making much more on their employment, unemployment than they did in their jobs. And that's certainly a disincentive to go back to work. Now, I mention this all not to disparage people who, some of whom have very good reasons at this point not to work. But I want to get to the question, what is the Christian view of work? And incidentally, this concern about work is not new in our country or among Christians today. Years ago, Charles Colson and Jack Eckerd, in a book called Why America Doesn't Work, shared a Lou Harris poll of American workers. Remember, these are American workers answering these questions. 63% believe people don't work as hard as they did 10 years ago. 78% believe people are taking less pride in their work. 69% believe workmanship is inferior to the past. 73% believe workers are less motivated today. Why? Well, Colson and Eckert see it as a decline of the work ethic in America. As the humorist Will Rogers said years before they wrote their book, what this country needs is dirtier fingernails and cleaner minds. Well, Paul saw the same thing happening in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he warned the idlers. He warned those who were intentionally not working, even though they could. Now he's got to do it again. So I don't know, it hasn't gotten worse or it just hasn't changed. For those idle people, those who chose not to work, it, it seems that it was a combination of the Greek ideal that work is for slaves, that leisure is for free people. And they wanted to aspire to the life of leisure. But that combined with Paul's preaching about Jesus Christ's imminent return, that he could come anytime, he's going to come soon, Paul kept stressing. And some of them are using that as an excuse to say, well, then why bother working? Why bother finding a job? And then, on top of that, the church fed the problem, literally, with shared goods. We know from Acts 2, that little snapshot we get of the church at the end of Acts 2, that one of the core values of the early church was sharing goods, sharing resources with all who had need. The question was, were these people who chose not to work people that really had need? And Paul says no. But these people were abusing the food pantry and the deacon's fund and being a, a drain on church resources. And in addition, he says, they become busybodies. They, in their leisure time, they become busybodies and, and had given a bad name to the Christian church in the community, a community where it was hard enough to being a Christian. So Paul attacks the problem from three directions. First, from God's Word. God's Word has much to say about this problem, but also about labor in general. So notice what Paul does. He actually issues a couple of commands. Paul commands those who are idle to work before they eat. Work before they eat. Verse 12. He also commands the church not to associate with them until they do. 
Look at verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. So where does Paul get the authority to command them? Well, Paul makes it very clear throughout all of his letters that he was sent by and with the authority of Jesus Christ. So why is Jesus so interested in labor? Well, we see it throughout the Bible, as we mentioned already. The very first act in the Bible is God working. God working at his creation. The very first commandment in the Bible is the commandment for man to work. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over all the different dimensions of creation. Then as we see in chapter 2 of Genesis, Adam was given both physical work, tending the garden, and intellectual work, naming the animals. In the fourth commandment, a little later then in chapter in Exodus 20, God gives this commandment, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now you're waiting for the rest of it because that's the heart of the commandment, right? Taking a Sabbath rest like God did. But don't miss that first part. Part of the commandment is not just to rest. Part of the commandment is to work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And as a result, the Jews saw work as a gift of God. Ecclesiastes 5. It's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. For this is his lot. To accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. Throughout Scripture, God uses working people. Noah built an ark. Moses and David were shepherds. Many of the disciples were fishermen. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus himself was a carpenter. We also come out of a group of people called the Reformers who had a lot to say about work. And one of the things they said was that there was an equality of work. The jobs were all equal. Martin Luther said that, that being a clergyman was not a higher vocation than being a farmer or a housewife. And that kind of echoes what Paul says in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So in their book, Why America Doesn't Work, Chuck Colson and Jack Eckert note that at the heart of the work ethic is God. At the heart of the work ethic is God. They wrote, the death of the work ethic in America is a direct result of the loss of a spiritual center in our society. So what kind of work ethic do we have personally? We work for the money, for security, for the sake of working, or do we work for God? Is it reflective in our attitude toward labor? Well, then Paul moves from Scripture to his own example. Look at verses 7 through 10 once again. 
For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So Paul practiced what he preached. Now, Paul talks a little bit in here about his rights, and he does that often in his letters. In fact, Jesus did as well. Both, both Jesus and Paul affirmed the rights of those who work for Christ to receive support from the church. The worker deserves his wages, says Jesus, and Paul echoes that. But while Paul reminded them of this, of his rights, he notes that instead of insisting on his rights, he worked night and day to earn his room and board for several reasons. First, not to, so as not to burden them financially. Secondly, to maintain his credibility as a true apostle, one of the things that, that many um, of his opponents in these various cities were saying about him is he was a charlatan like these other charlatans that were going around the Roman Empire trying to make money off people. And Paul wants to, to assure them that they're not, and so he doesn't take any money from them, anything from them. And then also to be a role model a role model for them regarding work. Maybe God gave him insight before he went to Thessalonica to say, Paul, this is where you need to work. This is where you need to be a model for the people to promote labor in Thessalonica. But then Paul also gave him a rule. You have to work to eat. You have to work to eat. The church apparently was being too kind-hearted, opening the food pantry and the deacon's fund to people who really didn't need it or shouldn't need it, and thus giving them no reason to work. What Paul says in his rule is not only a fact of life, if you don't work, you're not going to eat, but a rule for Christian living. You have to work to eat. How does this play out in our church, in our homes today? Are we examples to our children, our fellow Christians, even our co-workers in our community about honest labor? And then Paul finally turns to the church. And he enlists the church to help by not helping, to encourage by not encouraging. First of all, he says in verse 13, As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. He calls them to be example as well. He encourages those who are working while others are not to never tire because they are doing what's right in the Lord's eyes. And possibly they can serve as a tireless example to the others. Now that's the easy part. But if, they do, if these people don't listen and learn from them, then it becomes much harder. Paul says in verses 14 and 15, Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. That do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So Paul basically is calling for church discipline. Don't associate closely with them, but still treat them as brothers. And the main purpose, as is the main purpose of all church discipline, is so that they may see the seriousness of their sin and repent. But there are also likely some secondary purposes. One, 
just associating with them would mean that, that the church food pantry and the, deacon, the deacon's fund was cut off. And they could no longer have that as a disincentive to work. But secondly, it was important that the community around them, mostly pagan, did not see idleness as a characteristic of Christianity. It was hard enough to earn respect as a Christian. So by disassociating with them publicly, they're saying this is not what Christians believe. This is not how Christians live. How far do we go in tolerating sinners without tolerating their sin? As church members, we're responsible to maintain the integrity of Christianity in a loving, gentle manner. Not just because it's a good thing to do inside the church, but because it affects our witness outside the church as well. So as we listen to Paul in addressing this overall question, what does it mean to live as Christians in a pagan culture? It's a good time to examine our attitudes toward a specific area of that question. What does it mean to work? Ask ourselves, what image of labor do I promote to my children, my grandchildren, my fellow Christians, my co-workers, our community? What is our work ethic? And does it fit the work ethic of our God? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and your challenge to us in our working lives, realizing that work can extend far beyond our retirement age, but that we work in other ways for you even in our retirement. Lord, we we pray that we might set a good example for others. Or if we need it, that we might watch the example of others. But most of all, that we would learn from your word that you value work, that you placed us here to work. And we thank you for working to working in such a way that you sent your only Son to die for us, to do the work of redemption so that we might be able to look forward to our eternal life with you. We pray this all in his name. Amen. As we respond, a natural song to sing is Take My Life and Let It Be, and there are lots of images of how God might take control of our lives. We're going to sing the first four stanzas, And then after the benediction, we'll close with the last two stanzas. Would you stand as we sing?